thousand years and sees no good, do not both go to the same place? All the labor of this man is for his mouth, and yet the soul cannot be satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? What the poor man over him who knows to walk before the living? Better indeed is that which is seen by the eyes than that which is pursued by the soul. Yet this too is vanity and striving after the wind. What has been was long ago called by name. Moreover, it is known that he is a man and cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. What advantage then has man? Moreover, there are many things which increase vanity. And who knows what is good for man in life, the numbered days of his vain life, which he spends as a shadow. And who can tell man what shall be after him under the sun? Okay. So that is chapter 6, reading from Ginsburg's translation. And then I'll just step through uh, each verse as we go along and kind of give you an idea of the summary of the verse, and then we'll sort of stop after a little section and summarize it. And if you guys have any questions, just raise your hand as we go along, okay? Does anyone need a question sheet? Everyone got one? Okay. Uh-oh. JP, you've got company. Okay. All right. So, in these first couple of verses, I'll read them again real quick. There's an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it weighs heavily upon man. Here is a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and abundance so that his soul lacks nothing of all that it desires, and God has not given him the power to eat thereof, but a stranger eats it. So, Koaleth has seen riches, wealth, and abundance given to a man, but this man doesn't get to use it or enjoy it. And to Bridget's point from last week, uh, neither does he get to give it to his kids, but a stranger gets it all. So the idea of saving up our wealth and passing it down through the generations is, of course, wise, but it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't always work out according to our plans. Okay, verse 3. Though one begets a hundred children and live many years, yea, numerous as may be the days of his years, yet if his soul is not satisfied with good, and even if the grave did not wait for him, I say better than he is an untimely birth. So if one had a hundred children and lived many years, but his soul is not satisfied with his gifts, even if he never dies, a stillborn child would be better off. Okay, that idea of the grave not waiting for him is he just, he goes on and on and on forever. He doesn't die. Okay, so why would that be? Why would a Um, stillborn child be better off, he gives the answer in uh, verses 4 and 5. For this comes in nothingness and goes in darkness. That's the stillborn child. And with darkness is its memory covered. It does not even see and does not know the sun. It has more rest than he. So not having lived at all, the stillborn is free from all the ills and suffering of life, with which the joyless rich man is loaded, and hence it has more rest than he. 
So if you don't enjoy each day, having thousands of them won't make you any more satisfied. Uh, verse 6, As if he, And if he live twice a thousand years and see no good, do not both go to the same place. So, but after all the concessions made in verse 3, however... But after all the concessions made in verse 3, however extraordinarily long the life of this rich man may be, it must eventually end, and he goes to the same place as the stillborn, so that his long life, joylessly spent, not only placed him below the untimely birth as long as it lasted, but is of no advantage to him in death, since he must share the same doom as the stillborn." So no matter how long you live, it will come to an end, and you'll end in the same place. So what lessons could we take? I think that's the first question on your sheet there. What lessons could we take from these first six verses? Um, who has the microphones? Two, two girls in the back? Okay. <clears throat> Janelle, you wanna, do you have any, did you come in late? I didn't see you earlier. Yes, I came in late. Okay, so probably not fair to ask you. Um, so from those verses we just read, verses one to two, the idea of saving up our wealth and passing it down is wise, but it might not always happen that way. Um, if you don't enjoy the days that you have, um, <clears throat> having a bunch of them isn't going to make you any more satisfied. Four to five, um, if you're living each life in turmoil and difficulty, better that you don't even live. Okay? And even if you did live a long time, eventually it's going to end. Okay? So you can't hold on to the things you have forever, regardless of how you plan and what you do. Okay? What kind of lessons could you take from that? Well, God gives the power to enjoy. Okay, God gives the power to enjoy. Thank you, JP. So what might that lesson be? I mean, that's a truth to be sure. I'm just thinking, like, what do we do with that truth? Well, that's how we pray, right? How so? If, could you give him a microphone? <clears throat> Um, instead of asking for things, it affects our prayer in that we should ask for God to give us the enjoyment of the things we have, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, other, other ideas? Yeah, Donna and then Owen. I know this isn't probably right, but I always think, Lord, why do you let all these people be born if they're going to hell? So I'm thinking it's better that they die when they're stillborn than have to, you know, endure life and go to hell. Okay. So how's that a lesson for you, I guess, is 
a lesson for me. Yeah, like what lesson do you take from that? Well, I'm just thankful I'm saved for one thing. Don't really understand the predestined thing, but I'm glad I'm predestined, I guess. Um, the lesson, um, I don't know. I, I know I shouldn't question God, but I just think, why do so many people have to be born and then go to hell? I, I don't know what the lesson would be. Um, I guess I, I'm just thankful I'm saved. I don't know what else to say. Okay. Good reminder. Owen. I guess I have a question. So what's Kololeth wanting us to get from this text, or does he go over that after this no, text? No, that's the question I'm asking you. Oh, okay. Yeah. He doesn't say it uh, outright, or is he trying to get us to draw our own conclusions? Well, he's stating some truths, and he does draw some things from it later. Um, and to be sure, we'll look at that. I'm just thinking of these first six verses first, okay. um, or initially, I could say. Um, so we know that, <clears throat> I mean, in a sense, that we should be enjoying the things God's given us, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's worth reminding ourselves that we should enjoy them in their proper place, right? So, JP, you put it as, as a gift from God. Um, another thing to remember is that it's, these pleasures are fleeting and short-lived, um, and we shouldn't be seeking to enjoy them as something that we'll, we crave or in which we find lasting satisfaction, or at least we try to. <clears throat> um, okay, so here's a question sort of in line with Donna's question, although a little less dramatic perhaps. But if we've worked hard and earned money, why would God want to take that from us? Or doesn't it seem a little unfair that this person's worked saved their money, tried to be wise and save it for their kids or whatever, and then the Lord takes it from them. <clears throat> and this isn't necessarily coming from the text. I'm just asking you to think a little bit beyond it. Bridget. I mean, it flows from the text, to be sure. <clears throat> I think we should view our money as belonging to God in the first place. Um, especially if we are his, everything we own, he is at liberty to do with it as he pleases and use it to, for his purposes. Mm -hmm. And what are his purposes? I mean, you don't know in some general sense, but like we talked about it in previous chapters, he's striving to, to do what? I mean, in our lives. <clears throat> um, make his name known. But in our own individual lives, I guess, sanctify us, grow us, yeah. make us more like him. Yeah, exactly. So he's growing us, maturing us. That's his goal, in a sense, is that we would grow into Christ's likeness. That's, after all, what Christian means, right? Baby Christ. The, his, that's his mission, you could say. So his mission isn't to make us wealthy or comfortable. It's to make us like Christ. So... Why then, given those truths, might he take our money? Yeah, Mr. Meandering. Because we're depending on that instead of him. Yeah, exactly. So if we are depending on our money, looking to our money for comfort or security or thinking that we've got it made because we have our money set away, God will take it from us to show us, no, you can't seek your satisfaction in that. It should be in me, okay? 
And Koleth does address that a little bit later here in the text. Okay, any other um, comments on that before we move on? Yeah, Zach. <clears throat> It could just be part of his plan. Like, you know, we usually only know a very little bit of like what God's ultimate plan like is for our library. I shouldn't say ultimate, but like, you know, all the details of the plan he's got for us. So it's like, you know, hard to know why would God like let us get money and then take it away from us? Why did he just maybe not let us have it in the first place? But, you know, his plan might work out that way. I kind of think of like Joseph, like why would God let Joseph be you know well respected and do a good job as a slave in Potiphar's house just for him to get blamed for something he didn't do and then go in prison like why not just put him in prison right away or something you know like that like we don't know why God's plan works out the way it does um but it's always his plan's always best right and it always works out for our good in the end <clears throat> even if we don't know and understand why with all the twists and turns as it's going along Okay, so we don't always know the end um, when we're sitting there at the beginning. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty in between, but ultimately God's working it for our good if, you, if you're truly a believer. And that good is to grow you and mature you into the image of Christ. Also good that you would be used in God's will and God's plan. Make sense? Okay. Verse 7 <clears throat> All the labor of this man is for his mouth, and yet the soul cannot be satisfied. So this verse shows how the stillborn has more rest than this man, inasmuch as it states that his life is a protracted scene of toil, turmoil, and dissatisfaction. Uh, ev ever laboring to satisfy his soul, which cannot be satisfied, while the stillborn escapes all this, doesn't have to um, endure it. Verse 8, for what advantage has the wise man over the fool, what the poor man over him who knows to walk before the living? Okay, to show more strikingly that all the exertions of this rich man fail to satisfy the cravings of his soul, Koalath appeals to the fact that no efforts of any man can do this. For the wise man in this respect has no advantage over the fool, nor the poor man over the chief. The chief is the one who walks before the living or walks in front of, in charge of. Okay, verse 9. Uh, better indeed is that which is seen by the eyes than that which is pursued by the soul. Yet this too is vanity and striving after the wind. So it is indeed better to make the best of what we see and is present than to let our soul wander after gratification, which might be secured, but is looming in the, or after gratifications, which might be secured, but are looming in the future. So are you guys familiar with that Aesop's fable with the dog and his shadow? I'm surprised all the moms aren't nodding. <clears throat> okay, so there's a dog crossing the bridge and he has a piece of meat in his mouth and he, uh, as he's going over the bridge, he looks into the water and he sees another dog with an even bigger piece of meat in his mouth. And so he drops his meat and jumps in to try and steal the other dog's meat. That's the fable. 
Um, and then, of course, diving into the water, he loses both. Um, and they call it a shadow, but it's, do you know the word for that, Sharbi? When you look into the water and you see something? Reflection. Yeah, your reflection, right? Mm -hmm. So in Ecclesiastes here, what is the equivalent of the meat? Satisfaction in what sense? I, let's say the meat in the dog's mouth. That's as opposed to the, the shadow meat. Um, so in the fable, the fable you have, he, the dog has, so okay. Sorry, I sort of assumed um, a certain amount there, but the dog has a piece of meat in his mouth. If he were satisfied with that, he would go on his way, right? But instead of just being satisfied with the meat or the bone in his mouth, he's looking to this other thing, which turns out just to be a shadow, and he thinks it's more, and so he goes after that, okay? So that's the idea there. So in our Ecclesiastes here, what is the parallel with the meat? What is the thing that we should be satisfied with? What we already have, exactly. Our present blessings, you could say. Um, and then what is the shadow meat? What is the thing that often will drop what we have to go after this other thing? Charlotte, why don't you stand somewhere where you could move quickly? The things that we don't have, that we want. Okay, like what? What do you mean? Things in the past, dreams, well, what, what do you mean? Maybe like, maybe like things that you see other people have that you want, maybe. Okay, so you could say future blessings or future things that you don't currently have but you want to get, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, would, let's see, would Ed, would you mind reading... Proverbs seventeen twenty four. I'll give you a second to turn there, but um, the the idea here is is in some sense really simple. It's just um, there are blessings before you that you have, and often we we are not grateful for those things, and we look to some future time where we think we're really gonna have some blessings or the blessings are gonna be better or more and we lose sight of what we really do have already. And in that way, if we go on through our lives in that way, we're really not satisfied doing that. And that's this rich person who's always striving to have more as opposed to just being grateful for what he had. Ed? Problem, <clears throat> problem 17, 24. Yes, please. The discerning sets his face toward wisdom but the eyes of the foo are on the ends of the earth. Right. So the two things being contrasted there are the fool who, and the wise, and the fool is looking where? <clears throat> to, yeah. The fool is looking toward the future. Yeah, or the dreams, or, or the, the dreams. ends of the earth, like anywhere right. but here, right? Uh, and where's the wise person looking? 
the, it doesn't say exactly, but it's the opposite of that, right? Which would be what's right in front of him. So the wise person looks to what's right in front of him, the discerning, I guess I should say, looks to what's right in front of him and grows in wisdom, learns from that, as opposed to looking off to some distant time or some distant place. Okay? Um, so you could say part of being wise is enjoying the fruits of that wisdom. It's okay. Did you have a comment, Donna? I was just going <laughs> to, you guys are going to, I don't know what you're going to think of me, but, you know, I'm at the age where I've been, been there, done that, and it's easier for me to be satisfied. Does that make sense? I mean, you young people have a long ways to go. I mean, I've seen things, I've done things, I've had things. And so I'm at the point now where I'm just fairly satisfied. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great to hear. I just want to share that with you because that's how I, how I feel right now. I don't, God has blessed me with my life. And I'm grateful, and so I can pretty much handle anything now. I, I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Oh, praise God. That's great. Anyway, I'm thankful to be my age and have learned what I've learned and whatever. I just wanted to share that with you. Well, thank you. And thank you for illustrating that because that is, I mean, it's better to be satisfied with, what, with what's in front of you than to be dreaming about what you could have in the future. So I'm not if, saying there isn't a few things, but right. <laughs> I can't do yeah, whatever. Okay. And I mean, the more, the, now let's be honest though, Donna, the, 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 the greater that future that stretches before you, the more the tendency is to look to that for some kind of satisfaction. But as that future shrinks, you know, the hope shrinks. Okay, chapter 10. Um, what has been was long ago called by name. Moreover, it is known that he is a man and cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. What advantage then has man? Okay, so um, Koleth gives the cause for why all the efforts of the rich fail to secure happiness. Um, it's because everything which has happened has been immutably fixed beforehand. And because the opulent is, after all, only a frail creature, unable to contest with the Almighty. So God has made things so as to frustrate our efforts to find contentment in earthly things. And we've already talked about that, but the reason for that is that he's made the world and us in such a way that we can only be satisfied in him. So when we look to other things to satisfy us, we ultimately find they can't. And that should draw us back to the Lord and help us to see we're designed and made to be fulfilled by him and not things of this world. Okay, verse 11. Moreover, there are many things which increase vanity. And who knows what is good for man in life, the numbered days of his vain life, which he spends as a shadow. And then 12, who can tell man what shall be after him under the sun? 
So in 11, another reason why all the labor and accumulated riches of man fail to satisfy his soul, as stated in 7, is that there are so many things which are got to yield comfort, but which from their nature only increase the void in his heart and his disappointment. So let's try to put that into our own words. What do you think that means? I'm going to read it one more time, and, and then we'll try and say what that means in our own tongue. So another reason why all the labor and accumulated riches of man fail to satisfy his soul, as stated in verse 7, is that there are so many things which are got to yield comfort, but which from their nature only increase the void in his heart and his disappointment. How would you say that in your own words? Bridget. I mean, maybe it's like um, expectations. If you're expecting it to fulfill you and satisfy you, and then it doesn't, it makes you even that much more disappointed and empty. So, right, but that's always going to be the case with things of this earth, right? Yeah, but some things temporarily satisfy us. Other yes. things are just a pure disappointment. Well, that's true, but at the same time, what I'm thinking and what I think he's representing here is that we do, in some sense, look to things to satisfy us, and then when we get them, even the fact that they temporarily satisfy us, what happens right after that is we recognize the disappointment that comes from the temporariness of that satisfaction. Okay, yeah, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're looking to something, maybe even without even realizing it, thinking this is going to satisfy you, whether it's a new job, a better car that doesn't break down all the time, or you know, you do some home repair because your kitchen is frustrating, and so now you've redone your kitchen. Well, guess what? There's going to be more disappointments with whatever you put there, right? right? So you're looking to it in some sense to satisfy you or make it easier, give you more comfort, and yet when you get it, you find it doesn't, even though temporarily, right? Yeah. I'm thinking of um, even like Sabbath rest. It does refresh you and it rejuvenates you, but it won't last. But it's still like a good thing to, to do temp for that temporary, temporary like, rejuvenation. Yeah. But, you, but you're right. You can't hold on to it and bottle it up and use it. Right. Like whenever. <laughs> right. And that in some sense is why it's disappointing. Yeah. Because you have to keep going back to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, someone else want to give that a shot? How you would rephrase that? Um, so, yeah, Ed. I would say it's like painting the walls. The carpet don't go with the walls, so you paint, get new carpet. The Davenport or the sofa don't go with the carpet, so you got to get a new sofa. The curtains don't go with it, so you got to get new curtains. Right. Yeah. So no, that's satisfying. 
That's a good, that's a good way to put it, right? Um, and what you realize is eventually, if you ever were to get to the place where everything were perfect, there'd be something else. Yeah? Yeah. <clears throat> so we don't, and we don't know which things will actually lead to our happiness. I think is also what he's saying in verse 11 there. We don't actually know. We think we know. We don't know. Um, well, so what are some things that would fall into that category of um, we seek these things for comfort and yet by their very nature they only increase the void in our heart or in our disappointment? Any ideas there? Um, I mean, yeah, Alex. I'm assuming retirement could be that way. Oh yeah, for sure. You're kind of thinking, oh, this is going to be great. Um, I like Greg's sweet story where he like wanted to golf. So he like got a house by the golf course and he worked all these years and then like by the time he was retired, his he'd hurt his shoulder, so he couldn't even lift it above his. <laughs> it's like there goes your <clears throat> dreams. Okay, so um, but that's true. We when we're looking to the future for these things to satisfy us and fulfill us, God's going to frustrate those plans, guaranteed. Okay, um, always seeking our own comfort and peace inevitably isolates us from others. I think is another thing because people are irritating, right? Unless they're just there to serve you and do nothing else, they're ultimately going to be kind of irritating, especially little kids, right? I mean, you want to do one thing and it's like they're structuring everything they're doing to get in the way of that, okay? And that is not an accident, right? That's God using them or your spouse or whatever to grow you and mature you. <clears throat> okay. Also, I think we already talked about this, but when you achieve a goal, like a job, purchasing a new car or house, we realize how empty that pursuit was, which leaves us less satisfied than before. Okay. Parents who can't wait for the peace and quiet that comes when the children leave the home, then when the children are gone, they miss the noise and commotion they could have been enjoying all along. Now, also, no one really enjoys noise and commotion. <laughs> That's just a reality. So how do you think we could balance these two things, right? How do you think we, because the answer is not, oh, well, just learn to enjoy chaos and embrace that. That's not going to happen. So what could you do? How could you righteously deal with that noise and commotion? Another way of phrasing it is, how can you enjoy the present if your kids are being rowdy and out of control? Okay. Or ear attenuation devices. Yes. Oh, totally. No, I have them, especially for driving. Or if you go to a, a loud event. 
Yes. Well, I'm thinking about Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. And then further down it talking about children being a blessing, a heritage from the womb. Well, if we don't train up our children and build them up correctly, they aren't going to be a blessing. So the beginning is train them well, and then their presence is a gift. Okay. That's right. Um, Children can be a delight. But they're not inherently, they're a nuisance because they're foolish, right? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Our idea, the idea is that you train them and teach them, right? And then they can be a blessing, okay? So maybe let me rephrase that in a general sense, then we could bring it back to the specific here. But maybe dealing with the present problem in a God-honoring way instead of dreaming of the day when it will no longer be there, right? So there's a difficulty of frustration, and our tendency might be to think, oh, it'll be great when this thing's gone, and I don't have to deal with it. But the right response instead is to be dealing with that present problem in a God-honoring way. Zach. Hey, girls, why don't you spread out? Like, Ezra, you could sit here, and Charlotte, you could sit there, so you're not walking the entire length each time. Getting their steps in. Yeah. Um, so this is definitely uh, not something I do uh, great a lot of the time, but I've been trying to retrain my mind, you know, like if the kids are having some disciplinary issue, especially the ones that come up unexpectedly or things that I, huh, I hadn't really thought about how to deal with that, you know, I don't feel prepared for um, is to, instead of saying, oh, this is a nuisance, this is a interruption, you know, this is kind of a uh, thing that is just a hard thing that I wish I didn't have to deal with right now. Right. Instead of looking at it as like, God gave me this opportunity to train my child in something that I, you know, would not have thought to just, you know, hey, I'm going to teach you about this thing. So God gave me an opportunity to train them in some way that I wouldn't have thought of on my own. Yeah. Or, you know, just if it's the same repeated type thing, it's like, well, God gave me another opportunity to train them in something that they need training in or they need, you know, disciplined. And um, so it's like viewing it as like hopefully, you know, through the Lord working and hopefully me trying to do a faithful job with it. Eventually this will be for their good and my good too. Yeah. No, and that's an excellent reminder of what we're just talking about, that we don't know exactly what's best in the moment, right? Like we don't, well, we don't know what's going to be best in the future, right? So if we're faithful to do what God has before us in the moment, that's the best, okay? So that's a great attitude, a great response to that. Um, Owen, would you read Proverbs 29, 17? And this is just, again, about addressing the specific problem of children being rowdy and out of control and how to deal with that in a godly way. Just because there are quite a few parents in here, I feel we something we can relate to. Proverbs twenty nine seventeen. Correct your son, he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Okay. Now, implication, what if you don't discipline him? 
right. So discipline your son and he will give you rest. That also includes daughters. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will delight your heart. If you don't discipline them, then maybe they'll be more of a nuisance than a help. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> so that's a good reminder, right? If the kids are irritating, instead of looking to that future day when they're not there, look to deal with it righteously in that moment. And as Zach was saying, when those instances do come up, in a real immediate sense, um, stop what we're doing and deal with it, as opposed to waiting for some future time to deal with it. Uh, Alex. And also going off of what Zach said too, like working on our own hearts as well, like, oh, I have to deal with this again, like grumbling and complaining because they're a nuisance. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, who am I focused on? Me. They're getting in the way of my plans. They're thwarting my plans. How dare they? Rather than like, no, like this disobedience is against God first and foremost. Yep. And that God is working in your own heart to grow you. So that's a great reminder and something, you know, obviously we all do. Um, I have to do a lot of course, like everyone else, is when I find myself getting frustrated, just recognize, okay, God brought this into my life, not, it, this didn't just happen by chance. So this is here to grow me and mature me. And approach, approaching it in that sense of trying to solve uh, what's going on in my own heart. Okay, uh, verse 12 uh, I'll read that again. And who knoweth what is good for man in his life, the numbered days of his vain life, which he spends as a shadow? And who can tell man what shall be after him under the sun? So the short-sightedness and ignorance of man render him utterly incapable of knowing what things will yield him comfort during the few years of his earthly existence so that the very objects with which he toils to acquire in order to make him happy may turn out to belong to the, quote, many things which increase vanity. So you don't know what of all your options will lead to contentment. Um, and we could sort of get slowly sucked into that way of thinking um, that these other things will give us contentment. Um, I think of... An addiction is sort of similar to that. Uh, it sort of slowly draws you in um, a little at first, and then more and more is required to satisfy you. And before you know it, you know, these are other kinds of addictions, but you're spending hours on your phone or in front of the TV or at work after the day should be over. It's kind of like that lobster or crab in the water that's slowly heating up. So you don't notice the gradual change. <clears throat> so how could we be on guard against that? I'm assuming we're all in the same boat, that we all are struggling with things that slowly draw us in to tempt us to be satisfied in, in these earthly things. How do we stay on guard against that? How can we keep ourselves from being drawn into believing that things of this earth will bring us satisfaction. Owen, and then Charlotte. Renew our minds with God's word. Okay, what does that mean, renew our minds with God's word? 
so we find a verse associated with what we're struggling with and then we put on the righteous counterpart okay while putting off that sin excellent so think about and you know renewing our minds in the sense of what does god say about this thing right to kind of reshape our thinking yeah okay that's what i was gonna say okay uh as we mrs palmquist has a Uh, it makes me think about um, being on guard for how you respond to when the interruptions or it gets taken away to helping you realize, wait, did I take it too far? So if you're going to have that game in the evening or the movie or whatever and something else needs done and it gets taken away, is your response, I'm really upset about this? Or is it like, okay, that's just not going to happen tonight? Being in tune, in tune is the wrong word, but like just self-aware of like, oh, my response might help me gauge if my heart has already started to grab hold. And then if you're like, oh, I really did hold on to that too much, then you know the next night or the next time something's coming up, you know that that's a thing you need to be on guard about. Like, hey, I need to be aware that I'm not, um, for example, you want to play a game with your spouse and you're like, I know last week I put way too much hope in this. So I need to be extra careful this week that I'm not looking to that for my satisfaction. So like maybe you even tell your spouse, like, hey, is there anything we need to do first? Are there any responsibilities that we need to make sure accomplish first? Praying about it, like, help me hold this with an open hand. Um, and trying to remind yourself, like, it is okay. This isn't the most important thing in the world. And you can see, I think, God work in your heart in those moments um, over time to hold more lightly to those things. I don't know, it's kind of a long-winded yep. answer. Let me try to summarize. I think you had two, at least two uh, really good points there. One being self-aware, what like when you're going through something, looking at your response and recognizing, hey, if I'm responding angrily to this thing being taken away, I probably was holding onto it too tightly, right? Or I was looking to this thing to satisfy me. Um, to prepare beforehand, like you talked about it being in the future, but that another way of saying that might be just before you go into a situation, be thinking about, hey, how did I do this before? How can I get my thinking in line? Yeah. So that might be, in your case, it's before a thing. For some of us, it might be as we're driving home, praying and thinking about how we could be um, ready to deal with the interruptions that are certainly coming. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've got reading God's word, staying focused on God's word, kind of being aware of our responses to things and constantly looking at ourselves, two, preparing ahead of time, going into a known situation. What are some other ways we could guard against um, not letting ourselves be drawn into believing that things of the earth will bring us satisfaction. <clears throat> Bridget. Having boundaries or um, accountability with a struggle area. Okay. Setting boundaries. Now, when you say accountability, what specifically might that look like? Um, someone you trust checking in with you, seeing how you're doing with that, or kind of holding you to a certain standard. 
so that you don't you know, backslide. That would require quite a bit of transparency. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. So you'd have to be real open with the person yeah. and not just like, oh, things are better. Yeah. But really you're talking about the details of the struggle so that you can help gauge how you're really working, how it's really going. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, that goes back in Ecclesiastes to like, if one person falls down, how's he going to help himself get up? But if there's another person there, so. Yeah. If you're kind of mostly just dealing with this sin or with, you know, struggle areas by yourself, there's going to be no one to help you back up. Yep. No, that's, that's excellent. And hey, three is even better. Okay. <clears throat> well, thank you. A lot of good, lot of good responses there. Um, okay, the shadow. This was kind of an optional thing, but since we have a little extra time, I can go over it. Um, the shadow, in consequence of its transient and fugitive nature, is an appropriate metaphor of the fleeting life of man. Didn't seem quite as wordy when I was first reading that. But um, the shadow, because of its fleeting nature, ends up being a great metaphor for our lives. Okay, so we frequently find the days of man's existence upon earth so rapidly over and gone. This compared with a shadow which hurries over the fields, flies away, and disappears. Thus, David, speaking of human life, says in 1 Chronicles 29, 15, our days upon earth are like a shadow, or Psalm 144, 4, his days are like the passing shadow. In Job 8, 9, our days upon earth are a shadow, and in 14, 2, he flies like a shadow and does not abide. So... That is in reference to the man's life passing as a shadow. Um, <clears throat> okay. So lessons from these last three verses. God's design stands through time, and there's nothing you can do to change it. How can you tell what will be good for you if you don't know how your actions will affect the future? So what questions does this chapter raise in your mind? I know there's quite a few that come up when I think about these ideas. What are some questions it raises in your mind? Like the, the idea that you really can't determine your future. You might, and we're we don't really know what things are going to satisfy us. Um, we look for comfort in things that then fail us, and we continually do it. How do you maybe keep from despair is one way of putting it, or maybe it just raises other issues or questions in your mind. Yeah, Owen. Well, as Christians, we already know that the things of this world won't satisfy us, so it should, in a sense, bring comfort to us. 
because we already know these things and we can trust God even more once we achieve those things and realize that they won't bring lasting satisfaction. Okay. So if achieving those things, when we achieve those things, they don't give us satisfaction, you're saying that reminds us of our dependence on God? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, another question might be, well, what's the point of living wisely or how do I live wisely if it's like almost presented as if it's random, what's going to happen? If my choices, I can't determine the outcome of those choices, does that make you make it seem like things are just a random generator and there's some outcome that is unrelated to the inputs? What do you guys seem like a foreign concept? Yes. What's your name, by the way? I don't think we're... Mel, M-E-L. Mel. Mel, nice to meet yeah. you. I'm Jacob. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat as Donna. I've... I, yeah. Uh, done a lot of things. Only in the last year or so, I've fully come to an understanding of God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Everything I've done in the past... There's different wills of God, and I forget the two definitions of those. They were not in God's, one part of God's will. Obviously, it was definitely God's will. But he brought me to the point where I am now. And I look at, I guess the main, the main purpose of the rest of my life is to make the knowledge of God available to as many people as I can where, where I, when I encounter them. Okay. For example, I, uh, right now my main occupation is producing small square bales to sell to people. And it's amazing, this past year, uh, I raised the price substantially on the bales, and my perp well, I said, you know, if God wants them sold, God's going to sell them because I wouldn't, they wouldn't sell normally. And God has brought people into my life that I don't think are believers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and now my challenge is to develop a relationship with them so that if it is God's will, if it is his if they are chosen, if he has called them, if they are chosen and they are called, they will become in, they will come into his kingdom. So, I don't know, that's, that's kind of how I, uh, and to follow up on something someone else said, because I also recognize I have a lot of desires, but, and they're godly desires, but... I have to set boundaries upon myself so, or else my mind, I just get off on tangents and don't really concentrate on what is most important. Yeah, that's good advice. Life. Yeah, no, thank you.
I um, I probably should follow that right now. So God's sovereignty is an interesting topic. How does that help us make choices in life? Because yeah, Owen. If we know that God's sovereign and he controls everything, then we don't have to worry about things occurring by random chance because we know that God's in control and he has an ultimate plan for everything that happens. So yeah, that's, that's our most, that's our ultimate comfort. So how do you, does that fit in with what um, Koalath's saying here? And then Alex. How does God's sovereignty? I mean, do you see that in mm -hmm. contrast to what he's saying here, or do you think it fits? Together? I think it fits. I don't think it contradicts what's being said. Just not sure how at this point. I think I know how. I just I can't think of what to say for some reason. Okay, fair enough, Alex. Um, remembering God's goodness mm -hmm. in His sovereignty, and that, like the in things that are seemingly mundane or things that are interruptions to our plans, that God has a good and right purpose behind it. And, yeah. Okay, thank you. Any, no, that's it, anything else? Okay, um, not to say that wasn't enough, I just, I thought you were gonna go on. Okay. Um, so maybe a, another way of thinking about it might be if we know there's a sovereign God behind what happens in our life, maybe reshaping our thinking to think in that way. So if I'm looking for a new job, I'm not saying I am, but if I were, I might look for a new job because it might grow me or mature me or it might provide more time at home with the family or something that I know is honoring to the Lord, not because say it pays more money or because it's gonna be easier or whatever, right? So thinking about things in terms of God's sovereignty, you could all, we've also been mentioning the same thing with um, when you're at home, you're trying to focus on something and you have an interruption. Thinking of that not as an like an inconvenience or an annoyance, but rather, here's an opportunity for me to do what I'm supposed to be doing, which is growing into the image of Christ. And then to Mel's point, teaching and talking to others about the same, right? Which might be your children, might be your spouse, it might be a friend, okay? So instead of viewing it in one, another way of thinking of it is in a man-centered way or a self-centered way, we're viewing it in the sense of we're servants of Christ to do his will. Does that make sense? Somewhat clear? Okay. Um, okay, other, other ideas there? Uh, Zach. It's similar to what we've talked about already, but just like some examples that popped into my mind from my own life that uh, it's like God changing things, you know, God's sovereignty over the situation um, and in the moment seeming like a bad thing or like, you know, why would God do that? Or me like putting a lot of like um, blame or frustration on myself for like, let's say I was um, absent-minded or I was just, 
you know, had the wrong directions and I missed my turn and it takes me five extra minutes to get home. And so then I'm like late for dinner or I'm late to something I was supposed to be at on time. And I'm gonna get frustrated like, oh man, like why did that happen? That was like a stupid mistake. I wasted this time or I was late to this thing. And it uh, probably just revealed like I was idolizing, you know, being on time. Maybe I was like concerned about what people would think about me or I was, uh, you know, just trying to hold too closely to my plans or, you know, whatever. A lot of those situations probably revealed heart issues of my own. And then when my plans got changed, um, you know, God was using those things to sovereignly work and sanctify me. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I wouldn't think about it like that. I would just say, oh, man, that was a waste of time or that was, you know, um, let's say like you do something with your money and it ends up kind of just like basically losing the money. It's like, well, that was a stupid choice. You know, why did I do that? And, but seeing, instead of just getting frustrated about what didn't go the way I wanted, it's like God had a sovereign purpose for that. What is God trying to teach me through this? Yeah. And it might be like you miss your turn. It might be, Hey, maybe I was thinking this thing was too important. It also might be pay attention while you're driving. Right. Yeah. Right. It might be, very obvious sometimes right. what God's trying to teach you. <laughs> right. Or like if you want to play a game with your spouse in the evening, plan earlier in the day mm-hmm. to stop everything at a certain time so you're ready. Yeah. Okay. Perfect timing. Thank you, Zach.